You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I have been warning on this show for more than a year of the imminent threat to the life and certainly the liberty of the rightful Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan. This week it came to pass. A gang of armed men kidnapped him entirely illegally from a courtroom where he was attending as he was required to do in order to get biometrically tested like they didn't know who he really was. The armed men were called rangers. They are a paramilitary force, but under the command of the armed forces of Pakistan. Indeed, the armed forces of Pakistan have long commanded everything in the state. The nexus between the ISI, the intelligence service of Pakistan, and the army, the top brass in Rawalpindi, is the only institution in Pakistan that matters. I should know I've been involved with Pakistani politics for more than 50 years. More than 50 years ago, I tried in vain to save the life of Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, the rightful leader of Pakistan who was framed and then hanged by an earlier American satrap, General Zia ul Haq. I watched as my good friend Benazir Bhutto was repeatedly deposed, threatened and eventually murdered on camera by the military brass of the armed forces of Pakistan. Don't try to tell me that anyone other than them were responsible for the murder of Benazir. Although I know and like Imran Khan and have known him and liked him, admired him for many years, I am not his party man. I'm not sure even that I would have voted for him in the last parliamentary elections. But I'd sure vote for him now. Because I know a coup when I see one. And I know that Imran Khan was overthrown in a coup, not for any reason to do with internal or domestic Pakistani politics, but entirely because of his relationship with both Russia and China and his determination that Pakistan should be a genuinely independent player in the region as befitting a nuclear power with hundreds of millions of citizens and scores of millions of citizens living overseas. A great country, a great civilization, one that was deserving of respect. Respect which has never been forthcoming. And the successive leaders of Pakistan have been willing for, in return, keeping their own seats, their own power, which overwhelmingly they have corruptly used for their own enrichment to supplicate to the United States and do its bidding, whether in relation to Afghanistan or other things. So I'm not an Imran Khan party man, but I am in favor of democracy, and I could show you my medals. I was awarded the highest civil award in Pakistan almost 40 years ago, the Halali Qadiyazam, for my role in the restoration of democracy in that country. 
after the demise of the aforementioned General Zia al Haq. I also received the Halali Pakistan, the second highest award in that country for my work on the struggle for freedom for the people of Kashmir. I know a lot about Pakistan. And I know for sure that the only reason they have kidnapped Imran Khan is because elections now overdue, imminent, would have swept him to power with a sufficient majority to finally set about transforming Pakistan in the ways that it needs to be transformed, breaking the back of military and intelligence power in that country, making a proper democracy of the place, as befits a great people. Now, asked about it in the House of Commons today, Rishi Sunak said that the kidnapping of the Prime Minister of Pakistan was an internal Pakistani matter on which he had nothing to say. But that's false, Mr. Sunak, on a number of different levels. First of all, if the kidnapping of Imran Khan is an internal Pakistani matter, why is the imprisonment of Mr. Navalny in Russia not an internal Russian matter? You are never done interfering in the internal affairs of other countries. Indeed, that's precisely the hallmark of Britain, which you currently, for the time being at least, lead. If the Uyghur question is not a Chinese internal affair, how come the destruction of democracy in a Commonwealth country with King Charles as the head of the Commonwealth not a matter on which you as the British Prime Minister can have a point of view. You, Mr. Sunak, are the Prime Minister of a country where the criminals conducting the armed kidnapping of the Prime Minister are actually living. If you like, I could take you to their sumptuous addresses in Mayfair. Our police officers on our taxes are guarding these people. The imported government that the American coup placed in power in Islamabad were all outside the country because they were all wanted for the crimes of corruption. The cabinet in Pakistan, which you say has the right to conduct its internal affairs itself, read like the front page of the police gazette. Every single one of them almost was wanted for high crimes and financial misdemeanors. And the conductor of the entire hellish orchestra is actually still right now living in London. So in what sense is this an internal affair for Pakistan? The, the king has a responsibility as the head of the Commonwealth, to make clear his absolute rejection of the crushing underfoot in bloody shot and hail of the uprising currently happening in Pakistan, an unarmed, peaceful uprising in Pakistan, seeking to secure the release of their leader for whom they voted in overwhelming numbers 
and for whom, if given the chance, they would vote again in still greater and more overwhelming numbers. Why is that not a matter for you, Mr. Sunak? Party workers, senators, women, children are all being gunned down right now in Pakistan. This is another American regime change operation gone disastrously wrong. And not in the back of beyond, not in some banana republic in the jungles of South America, but a nuclear armed superpower in the Asian region with a border with Iran, with Afghanistan, with India, a border with all the flashpoints in the world today. Hundreds of millions of people running wild on the streets of Pakistan with an armed force that is gunning them down with live ammunition right now as I am speaking to you. If that's not a matter for you, Rishi Sunak, for you, King Charles, what about the United Nations? What about the Security Council? Aren't you concerned that this will get entirely out of control? One regime change operation after another has turned into ash in the hands of the United States and the so-called international community. And how could it be otherwise? The decision to remove Imran Khan was made by doddering Joe Biden, who, if you saw the latest video of him, as I did an hour ago, wandering around looking for his exit from the stage, you'd think this man has been dug up from the cemetery, a broom put down the back of his jacket and made to look like he is alive. He was warning the world of grave consequences if America reneges on its indebtedness. Actually, the United States is fast losing the place on every single level. As Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been adumbrating today with devastating effect. So devastating, I have begun seriously to be concerned as to his lifespan. Robert Kennedy denounced Biden today, denounced Biden's predecessors, denounced decades, a half century and more of criminal behavior on the part of United States agencies against their own people, never mind against the peoples of other countries. It's high time that leaders in Europe began to ask themselves or their people began to ask their leaders, why are you following this organized crime operation, otherwise known as the United States of America? But just when you thought that he might get away with it. The first report of Comer in the US Congress has given chapter and verse about sordid, personally criminal behavior in which the Biden crime family was involved during Biden's period as the Vice President of the United States. He was making hay while the sun shone on his part of the White House. He never expected to have to run for office again. He thought he was in the twilight of his political career. And so all caution 
was thrown to the wind. Millions upon millions and millions and millions of dollars, at least $10 million, was illegally, corruptly siphoned from foreign countries and foreign companies, all of it entirely concealed from the White House authorities, from the US Congress, from the American public, into the bank accounts of 10 members of Joe Biden's family. Hunter Biden we all know about, but we didn't know about the nieces and nephews and grandsons and granddaughters, some of them small children with millions of dollars in their bank account. Is there anyone credulous enough to believe now who the big guy really was, the one referred to in Hunter Biden's laptop, 10% for the big guy? Anyone in any doubt who the big guy was? Who could it be other than the Vice President of the United States of America, Joe Biden? This criminal behavior knocks into a cocked hat anything we have ever seen on the American public stage before. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. This is only the money that was extorted as protection money from foreign countries and foreign companies by the vice president. What about now that he is the president, the really big guy? How much did his family members extort from these countries and companies, including Chinese companies? An administration that is foaming at the mouth against China was in receipt of millions of dollars from Chinese commercial entities going into the bank accounts of his nieces and his grandsons during his tenure as vice president. What about Romania? Now, I know Romania. I'm probably the only person you've ever met that has a book published in Romanian. Romania is a watchword for corruption. People normally corrupt Romanians. But the Comer report shows that Romania corrupted Joe Biden. How about that? Romania gave $1 million to Joe Biden. He didn't declare it. It was hidden, concealed. What was that for? What protection did Joe Biden offer Romania for that million dollars? What was the trade off? And they want to claim that Donald Trump cleared of rape, cleared of rape, not that you would know it from the headlines that you have read, is somehow a bigger criminal than Joe Biden. They're both criminals. America is ruled by criminals. You can pick one criminal or the other criminal, but there isn't any doubt who is the bigger criminal. And that is the leader of the so-called Democratic Party in the United States of America. And the man currently sitting with his finger on the trigger in the White House. It is 
a stunning turn of events that we'll discuss with Garland Nixon and Alex Rubinstein in the later part of the show. I've only time to refer en passant to the Victory Day celebrations yesterday in Moscow. I just want to make this point. President Putin performed really powerfully, didn't he? Considering he has brain cancer and liver cancer and kidney cancer and stomach cancer and lung cancer and prostate cancer, considering he's got a withered arm, considering he walks with a limp, considering he might even be dead and is being covered by body doubles. He looked amazing, sounded amazing in Red Square. Why do I dwell upon this point? Because you have been told, and many of you have believed, the war propaganda spewed out against Russia, against Putin, over this last 15 months or so in particular. It was all a lie. Putin is not going to be overthrown. He is not terminally ill. He doesn't have a withered arm or walk with a limp and he doesn't have any body doubles. They were lying to you. And as Robert Kennedy Jr. said in his miraculous series of tweets today, look them up after the show. When the United States denied that it was conducting illicit overflights of the USSR with spy airplanes, they continued to deny it until the Soviet government produced a man called Gary Powers, whom they had shot down over their territory, flying exactly the U-2 technology that was spying on the Russians. The American people were shocked that their government had lied to them. It is well attested back in the day. The problem is, neither the Americans nor any of the rest of us are shocked any longer. As Tucker Carlson said to more people in a short broadcast on Twitter, then we'll watch the entire output of US terrestrial and cable television this whole week or month. We're being lied to. It's an industry of mendacity. The liars and the lying lies that they tell us are the biggest story of this age. That's why you're here, because you know this is the place where the truth-tellers gather. Prepare for some blunt truths. It's the mother of all talk shows. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now we're running a poll which 18,000 people have already voted in and the show's only just begun. Who ordered the arrest of Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan? A, the army, B, the imported government, or C, the United States of America. And it's a damn close-run thing, actually, between the army and the USA, although some would say that is actually uh, no choice at all, a distinction without a difference. Now, Peter Oborn, the great British journalist and fine cricketer, Peter Oborn joins me now. Peter, uh, I was saying earlier uh, that uh, I am not myself a supporter of Imran Khan and his party, but I know a coup when I see one. And I see that you wrote much the same earlier today, at least I read it earlier today. Give us the benefit of your argument, please. Uh, Certainly I will, because I think that this has been gravely unreported in the Uh, British press. Um, So Imran Khan was arrested uh, yesterday, as you know, uh, um, by paramilitary forces. Some people, some quite respectable advisors are saying it's more like a kidnapping than an arrest, but uh, he was arrested. And in the the time that it's gone past, and, and Imran, of course, is the leader of the PTI, which is um, the main opposition party uh, in, in Pakistan, uh, and several very senior members of the PTI have also been arrested. And from reports, it's quite hard because internet's being stopped. You know, there's a real block on press reporting now in Pakistan. It looks like they're wrapping up a lot of the members. So this is an anti-democratic um, assault uh, on the, uh, and it's coming just four months. Uh, ahead of a, 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 a general election, which has got to be held uh, under Pakistan law by, by the end of 2023. 
Um, and Imran Khan is by far and away the most popular politician uh, in the country, in, in, in Pakistan. So it's, it's very troubling events, and it's, uh, there's been awful violence, protests. Um, uh, the, the Pakistan people appear to be turning on the army. There's horrible footage of them going into, you know, the uh, sort of senior military places in Lahore and elsewhere. Uh, and so it's a troubling uh, time. Troubling indeed, not least because how vastly populous Pakistan is, its geostrategic position in the world, its possession of nuclear weapons, and a combustible mass uh, of uh, Pakistani diaspora uh, in many countries in the world, including our own. And yet Rishi Sunak uh, declared today that uh, he had nothing to say about all of this, that it was an internal matter for Pakistan. What did you think of that? Well, it's an extraordinary statement from the uh, British Prime Minister. As you say, Pakistan has a, well over 200 million people. Uh, the, uh, very, the, the, the British Pakistani population, uh, people of Pakistan heritage, I think well over 2 million. Um, uh, and many of them go back and forth. Uh, they make a magnificent contribution in Britain. I know lots of them personally. Um, and uh, the... Um, uh, let's note, first of all, that Mr. Sunak and indeed James Cleverley, the Foreign Secretary, have no problems at all making commentaries on the internal operations of uh, foreign countries. In, uh, you know, they, 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 they're very free with their opinions of whatever's going on in Syria or Iran or, or Russia, um, anybody who's deemed to be an enemy of the uh, British state. Um, on the other hand, the silence on what is going on in Pakistan is quite extraordinary from the British uh, government for a number of uh, reasons. First of all, we, 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 claim, we claim to support democracy um, and freedom, and this is clearly an attack on democracy. Mr. Khan, whether you, whatever you think of him as president, sorry, prime minister of Pakistan when he was, he's, he's, he's straight, he's, he's not corrupt. I mean, that's and certainly not compared to the mass of the um, ordinary Pakistan politicians. And he, these, these charges look like they're trumped up. Um, and um, you would expect James Cleverly, at the very least, to have summoned the Pakistan ambassador and given him a dressing gown saying, what's going on? This is an attack, this is an attack on, on basic democracy, and Britain supports uh, democracy. All the more so because, and I dare say quite a few of them are listening to your program, George, the British uh, Pakistani diaspora population uh, will be looking for that kind of uh, leadership, that, that kind of statement that Britain is actually prepared to stand up for the values which we claim to believe in. There's another reason why it's extraordinary, Peter. Uh, the organizers of it all are living in Mayfair with their ill-gotten gains in bricks and mortar in some of the finest streets in our capital. Uh, the, the British police are actually on 24-7 security duties outside these palatial apartments uh, in Mayfair. So the former prime minister, whose brother is now the prime minister, is currently in London. In fact, if I'm not wrong, even the current prime minister is visiting his brother in London, if I'm not wrong. Right now, they are members of the Commonwealth 
It's our commonwealth. Our king is the head of that commonwealth. But we've got nothing to say about it. We never stop talking about events in Iran, as you say, or Mr. Navalny in Moscow, or other internal affairs of other countries. But in these extraordinary circumstances, we have nothing to say to defend the life of Imran Khan. I, 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 it depresses me uh, beyond measure. Uh, and let's just look into the mind of the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly. Um, now, James Cleverly was asleep at the wheel when the Sudan tragedy happened. I mean, he, he seems to have been, or, you know, even that every, every dog that barked knew that something uh, was about to happen in Khartoum, but not apparently uh, Mr. Cleverly. The Foreign Office was kept on, caught on the hop. We had to rely on foreign countries to uh, get out British citizens. Um, now, um, he's, he's, he's asleep at the wheel on this too, Mr. Cleverly and Mr. Sunak. First asleep. Now, we, we got... Uh, I don't know how many British nationals there were in Sudan, maybe a few hundred. Uh, how many? I should dare say there's at least, as we speak, tens of thousands. And, and the country is just descending into anarchy, uh, according to the reports, you know, which are coming out, because it's, there's a huge suppression of, of press reporting, as you know, and of the Internet. But, uh, and the British government seems to be clueless uh, about this. It's not even, and, and nor is it prepared to stand up and state that it believes in in democracy. It's against the um, the uh, arrest of political opponents of the regime in, or the government in power. Um, so it's uh, morally, morally, uh, we're all adrift. But also, I think practically, we're now adrift. Now the. Game would appear to be obvious, uh, although I've been through this uh, movie before, Peter, and it has sometimes ended in the death, the murder, uh, judicial murder in one case mm. and uh, uh, extrajudicial in another. I have seen the murder of Pakistani leaders before, but let's uh, avoid thinking, speculating about the worst case. The best case is that they're trying to put him out of these elections, maybe even outlaw his party uh, from standing in those elections. Uh, that's a recipe for civil war, isn't it? It's beginning to, I mean, look like uh, something very serious may happen. Um, you are right. You, you said you weren't a supporter of PTI, but one of the, Mr. Khan's, uh, party, but it, the, one of the welcome things about it, I think, was that it challenged this sort of dynastic rule. The um, the Sharifs and the Bhutos had been really running the country politically for um, for forty years or fifty uh, forty years, it's, it's, uh, and that these two dynastic parties, the the PPP in the case of the Bhutto dynasty and the Sharifs uh, MLN. Um, it had been sclerotic, and also he was challenging, uh, you know, the invisceral uh, endemic corruption, which, um, you know, has been a real uh, sort of problem for Pakistan, as many other countries, by the way. Uh, and um, so I think he was a, a very fresh voice uh, and fresh figure from outside conventional uh, power politics. Uh, and if you 
uh, you stop that. And he's, uh, he's also obtained mass support. He's fantastically popular at the moment in Pakistan, not just uh, in a narrow elite group, but, you know, in, um, certainly among the urban middle class, but also uh, mass support uh, outside the cities. And to, to, to sort of try and stop him fighting the elections is certainly... Uh, a, a recipe for, um, or, you know, or, sort of um, autocracy, uh, authoritarian rule, and you've seen. I think it frightens me what I've, what we, what we appear to be seeing is these attacks on the army, which uh, the army, like it or not, has been a symbol of stability and a force for stability in Pakistan ever since independence in in 1947. Uh, and if and people have accepted that, so occasionally you have had uh, dictators take power, normally backed by um, our American friends, um, uh, and uh, but that has often been welcomed. People have wanted to see law and order, and to see in the last 24 hours uh, the the mass, a lot of people turning against the army, which I'm, I believe is you know basically we've got military law now. According to reports, which I, you know, in the Punjab, across much of the Punjab up in uh, Khyber Pashtunwa and apparently in Balochistan, I mean, it's it's getting it's it's a very very frightening and a dark moment. This potentially, indeed, so. And the idea of these uh, absconders, these runaway Pakistani politicians, whether in London or back now in power in Islamabad, calling anybody corrupt when they are a byword for corruption. Uh, whatever else you could say about Khan, uh, he hasn't uh, filled his own pockets. He may have made mistakes in his policies. Some of uh, his uh, international uh, relationships with Russia, with China, I approve of, but could understand why some would not. But the idea that he is the corrupt one is the pot calling the kettle black to an extraordinary degree, isn't it? Well, let's add one other thing, uh, George. Uh, you know, the war on terror, where you were a tremendous uh, voice, I, th I believe, for good, uh, and, um, uh, and speaking out against the abuses, uh, human rights abuses, torture, um, extradition, drones, all of that, which was part of the... George W. Bush war on terror and persisted with by Obama. Now, Imran Khan, uh, and this is one of the problems I think he now faces, really established himself by uh, fighting against extradition, the use of uh, drone, killing through drones. Um, and he was a force for good during the war on terror, and it didn't, it didn't endear him, I think you'll find, to the United States. And then if you look at the follow Pakistan politics quite closely, and if you, his downfall seems to have followed the fall of Kabul. And uh, there were, he, it's, it's documented. You've always got to be careful about what you say about Pakistan politics. There are so many different layers and different interpretations, but he seems to have been in, in conflict with the Americans about the consequences uh, of Kabul. Americans always wanted to have uh, overflights uh, of Pakistan airspace. 
uh, for launching operations. And I think I think I'm right in saying that Imran uh, Khan was uh, opposed to that, and there was he was certainly very upset with the Americans for withholding funds which belonged to the um, Taliban, the new government in, in Afghanistan, and I. Uh, and so he was he was not afraid and this cut him up this, this separated him from uh, the run of the mill pakistan politicians he was never afraid to criticize the united states and its policies now whether that is what led to his uh, the uh, his removal his he, he when he, he ceased to be prime minister what about a year ago now uh, after yeah. he, he lost the support of several of his mps uh, about 30 of them, I think, from memory. And there was quite a lot of th- those close to Mr. Khan think that that was, you could see the hands of the American uh, embassy um, in Islamabad in that. I, I already can't, I don't, I'm not there, I wouldn't like to say, but you could, it's certain, in, in in, given the litany of interventions you've just listed, it's certainly not implausible. Peter Obon, as always, thank you for your wisdom on the mother of all talk shows. Peter Obon, great English writer and commentator. Who ordered the arrest then of the Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan? Well, on Twitter, 49% say the army, 10% the stooge imported government, 41% say the USA. On YouTube, it's 15% say the army, 13 the stooge government. 72% the United States. In Telegram, the Army, 5%. The Stooge government, 14%. And the United States, 81%. Extraordinary differences here. And on the YouTube community poll, where 12,000 people have voted, Army, 13%. Imported government, 8%. USA, 80%. My goodness. Whether the US ordered the arrest of Imran Khan or not, such is their reputation in the world that the overwhelming majority of people believe they simply must have. How extraordinary a situation is that. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. There's almost not enough time in the rest of the show for me to talk to Garland Nixon because I really don't know where to start. Do I start with Biden or do I start with Trump? Uh, Do I start with RFK Jr.? I don't know. Let's hear what he has to say. Garland Nixon the radio talk show host and supreme, a political analyst, uh, one of our favorites here on Moats. Uh, welcome. Let's start with Joe Biden. Can we? The New York Post, which broke the story of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and, and lost its Twitter account uh, for the privilege, uh, is now banned from attending uh, Joe Biden's presidential events and the reason's not hard to find because they are again leading the pack although the rest of the pack doesn't seem yet to be following exposing more and more and more malfeasance and maybe even high crimes of the biden family what say you 
uh, I think the Biden team is uh, they're, they're they're fairly wise to try to um, shut the mouths of those who are exposing um, their current uh, legal woes. Uh, the, I think the um, the biggest case against Joe Biden right now is uh, in Congress. Apparently, uh, the there are a, a number of members of Congress um, who are arguing that they have a FBI whistleblower that has um, the FBI whistleblower is claiming that. The FBI has evidence that Joe Biden was involved in some kind of a bribery um, scheme that he actually received money from some foreign entity while he was vice president of the United States. That's part of the uh, allegation. The other part of the allegation is that the FBI has had this evidence for some time and has not acted on it, which, of course, would uh, point to the FBI being involved in a cover up. Um, additionally, another um, another major issue is the connection between the Biden um, administration and um, actual election interference in, t- in uh, the 2020 election. There are allegations that have been made by a former a former CIA assistant director that one Antony Blinken was the driving force behind a letter that said 51 former intelligence officials believed that the uh, the, the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, admittedly with no evidence whatsoever. So I think the Biden team is probably hiding from the New York Post, but they're going to have to do a whole lot of hiding for a long time because it looks like the skeletons are making their way out of the Biden closet. Uh, Robert Kennedy has been talking a lot. Uh, I mean, 24-7 because he's running for president. Uh, and some of the things that he is saying are pushing the envelope. The, if someone told you Garland Nixon said them uh, or that I said them, uh, you might not be surprised. But that a Kennedy said them and a man running for president said them is uh, pushing the boundaries very considerably. He has, and I don't have time to list them all, but he has accused the CIA of being involved in the murder of his uncle, President Jack Kennedy, his father, Senator Robert Kennedy. He has uh, outed, it's the first time I've seen this number, a $5 billion spend back in 2014 to overthrow the government in Ukraine and then to handpick a stooge government uh, by Victoria Newland and other functionaries of uh, of Barack Obama and Joe Biden's administration. He goes from one issue to another, making the most pungent accusations. I think killing any reluctance on the part of people like you and me to get behind his bid. I mean, whatever else you say about him, he's a a force nine gale exposing these crimes. And we should get behind him, shouldn't we? Well, uh, you know, I think he's a very interesting candidate and, um, you know, I'm looking into supporting him at this time. Um, One of the things that I think uh, that's interesting about the things that um, that that RFK Jr. has said is that for the most part, these things are easy. They're very easily researched and very easily verified. You know, he came out with this five billion dollar number. But those of us us who have been researching this know that the neocons literally bragged about that years ago about spending the five billion dollars. So the interesting thing about um the dynamics of politics in the United States today is that RFK Jr. comes out and says things that are, you know, as they call 
OSINT, open source intelligence, things that we can all find out, things that many of us in the alternative media have been reporting on for years, and we all know, but the mainstream media won't touch it. And he comes out and says these things. It's very, very refreshing to hear this. But it's a sad state of affairs when a person who comes out and speaks the obvious is some kind of an outlier. And, you know, and and obviously, as you probably know, he has been um, ignored a great deal by the mainstream media here for obvious reasons. Yeah, although it'll not be possible. Uh, A a guy with the name recognition uh, that he has uh, cannot be silenced for Ever, but we'll keep uh, abreast of that. Let's talk about another man, unexpectedly. Now, uh, just like Kennedy, shining a very powerful light on things that the powerful don't want us to see. I refer to Tucker Carlson, who seems to have broken the mold of American television broadcast journalism. He was bound by golden handcuffs to the tune of $25 million, not to say another thing on any other platform until his contract was up. In other words, Mr. Murdoch was honoring his contract and going to pay him $25 million, but he must keep silent. He has shredded that and taken a new platform with Elon Musk on Twitter. Now, you and I have had Many issues with Elon Musk, but this is a pretty powerful combination, isn't it? Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk. It's actually a very powerful combination, and I think this will um, this will increase the flow of, um, of of viewers away from mainstream media towards alternative media. It's going to benefit those of us in alternative media who push back against the mainstream um, against the mainstream uh, lies and, and and try to put forward stories that we can substantiate. I think what's going to happen here, and if you already look at Fox, Fox News is losing viewers like crazy. Whatever, um, I've been saying for a while that whatever um, platform that he came to, that he moved to would grow exponentially. And I think it's going to be really good for Twitter. I'm glad Personally, I'm glad he chose Twitter because Elon Musk seems, uh, Musk seems considerably less inclined um, to, uh, to to support, you know, um, uh, the kind of censorship that we've seen on other platforms. So I think it's perfect for him. I think it's good for all of us. We can watch him and we can, uh, you know, I also want to see what happens with Tucker Carlson now that, you know, now that the um, restraints are taking, taken off him. Was what he was doing on Fox as far as he will go or will he take it to another level and just let go? I, I have a feeling that it will be the latter. I'm looking forward um, to the, the, the new iteration of, uh, of, of Tucker Carlson. Now, finally, Garland, uh, Donald Trump uh, was in court. I must say this case uh, crept up on me. I hadn't been following. I was still thinking about his last case. All I knew was that he said he had no idea who this woman accuser even was. And yet the jury, whilst clearing him uh, of uh, the far more serious charge of rape, nonetheless found him culpable, not guilty because it's a civil case, uh, but culpable for a sexual assault, which was later explained as forcible and unwanted sexual touching, uh, and fined 
uh, Donald Trump $5 million. What can you tell us about that case? A couple of things that are interesting in this case. Number one, this is the second time that the plaintiff, E.G. Carroll has sued Donald Trump. She sued him earlier and that got hung up in court because there was some discussion as to at the time uh, she was making claims against him when he was in office. And there was some there was it was never cleared up in court as to whether she could sue him while he was acting as a public service in his official capacity. In 2020, here's what's interesting. In 2022, the New York state legislature passed a law granting a one-year window so that victims of former um, sexual assault uh, cases could bring forth their assertions to court. It is my understanding in evaluating this that that's the only reason she she could move forward with this case. And one could possibly infer from that that specifically they passed that law so that she could move forward. I'm not saying that's why, but I'm saying that someone could could certainly infer from looking at that uh, at, at that um, law in New York, that uh, particularly the state that it's in, that they did that so that she could um, bring these charges. So he's found uh, um, guilty of, not guilty, but he's, uh, it's found that it's more likely than not that he um, was guilty of that he committed battery and defamation. Keep in mind, um, for those of you who don't know uh, U.S. law, in a criminal case, uh, the standard of proof for a finding of con conviction in the U.S. is beyond a reasonable doubt to a moral certainty. In a civil case such as this, it's simply a preponderance of the evidence, meaning that it's more likely than not that it happened. It's 51% versus 49% that it happened. So it's not exactly a finding of guilt. It's basically like you want an argument, people listened to it and said, you know, I think it's more likely that this person is right than wrong. So at this point, Donald uh, Trump can, um, he can appeal. In civil cases, most of the time, the appeal, the appeal will center around some kind of a legal error. Uh, error. So I don't, the likelihood of, of winning some kind of an appeal is, is not strong. Um, he could possibly, he could also appeal the number and say that was too high for a number of reasons, but this thing is uh, it's kind of dying out um will it uh, impact uh trump's potential run for the presidency i don't believe it will at all for 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 a number of reasons not the least, least of which being it was brought in new york state it was brought in a jurisdiction that's openly hostile towards donald trump um so people support donald trump will certainly see take that um back it will also be seen as, uh, and forgive me if I'm freezing up here, I think it will be seen as um, you know, a political move against Donald Trump. It's so far out um, where there are a lot of things that are going to happen. So I really don't think it will affect those who would either vote for Donald Trump or in the case of Joe Biden, what he has to be concerned with is people in his party who don't show up to the polls for a variety of, of other reasons that we don't have enough time to talk about today. We don't. Thanks very much, Garland. Uh, despite the uh, electronic interference, we did get the picture. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, real Alex Ruby is described here as an investigative reporter. But that doesn't tell you half of it. He is a wizard at investigative reporting, a brilliant writer, a brilliant investigator. 
and working at the most brilliant of all the investigative reporting bureau in the world today, the one and only Grey Zone News. Alex Rubenstein joins us again now here on the mother of all talk shows. Alex, we want to talk about the uh, situation that now exists on targeted assassinations. Let me set the uh, context. Uh, the authorities, not any outliers, the authorities in Kiev have announced that having blown up the daughter of somebody they didn't like, having blown up a blogger in a St. Petersburg cafe, having now blown up and gravely wounded a novelist uh, inside Russia and killed his driver, that the Ukrainian regime intends to attack and kill Russians and their propagandists anywhere in the world. That sounds like a declaration of war throughout the world, international terrorism to me. How do they get away with that? Well, they get away with it because the entire uh, NATO order is on their side. And, and uh, Blinken himself, Anthony Blinken, the uh, U.S. Secretary of State, has essentially greenlit attacks inside of Russian territory by Ukraine, uh, asked by David Ignatius in relation to the second attempt on Vladimir Putin's life uh, via the uh, drone attack on the Kremlin building, uh, whether the U.S. would criticize such attacks inside Russia. Uh, Anthony Blinken said in response that uh, this was a decision for Ukraine to, to, to make for itself um, and, and, and essentially that the U.S., has no role. I don't buy that. I I, I don't believe that uh, that uh, Vladimir Zelensky can even use the bathroom without approval from the United States. But uh, you see this kind of escalating attacks inside Russian territory. Many of them uh, don't get reported outside of Russia. And and uh, I I found one uh, incident in the course of one day. A, a Telegram news channel in Russia documented ten attacks. In just one day on the border region, but so most of them are confined to the border region. But you know, you have these ones that do go further into Russia. You have these car bombings. You have uh, the bombing of a public event uh, in Saint Petersburg at a cafe, um, and it's you know you you have to imagine that uh, Ukraine is resorting to these kinds of tactics because it's not able to win in a sense of conventional warfare. So what we're talking about is ISIS 2.0, really. This is the, the counteroffensive, uh, a new wave of ISIS-style terror attacks. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And again, you see this uh, war uh, targeting uh, intellectuals. And so it's not, it's not just going after, you know, rank-and-file soldiers. It's, it's, take, it's, and it's an attempt to win the information war by uh by assassinations um so it's it is really sick and it is the same kind of thing that isis would do for example taking out religious leaders of opposing uh islamic sects of uh opposing uh religions and and you know waging that kind of psychological campaign against their adversaries uh and you know one other similarity that i would point out is the the use in these attacks by isis and 
and by uh, the Ukrainian uh, Secret Service of Western-made weapons. You had, for example, in the first uh, assassination attempt on Russian pre President Vladimir Putin, uh, a Ukrainian-made drone that was strapped with Canadian-made C4 explosives. Uh, you've had in these um, drone incursions in the border region, many documented incidents of American switchblade drones being used. And these are very uh, easy ways of, of uh, taking out civilian infrastructure and conducting psychological terror on the Russian population. For example, you can probably buy a commercial drone for, say, 800 USD, uh, spend a few more hundred dollars on C4 explosives and duct tape them together. So you see this kind of uh, guerrilla tactics that are, uh, you know, really meant to terrorize uh, the Russian population. And, and uh, I just don't think that uh, I, I think that it changes the calculus because um, there's going to be a situation where if these drone incursions continue, uh, the Russian population is going to become even more supportive than they already are of, of the war because the war is coming within their territory. So it really uh, opens opens the door for further escalation. It is itself escalatory, uh, not to mention how, uh, how the Russian government has not attempted to take out Vladimir Zelensky. They've uh, kind of let him be, and now Ukraine is making attempts on the life of their president. It, you, you can see that it's almost intended to provoke a response, uh, to escalate, and, and it really drives home the message that uh, you put out just before this interview right now. Well, uh, of course, it hasn't worked uh, up till now. Uh, I mean, Vladimir Putin is showing almost uh, Chinese levels of inscrutability. Uh, the playing down of uh, a drone landing on your roof uh, from in the most fortified place in Moscow, the heart of government in Moscow for hundreds of years in all political systems. Uh, no retaliation for it. Uh, Putin would have been fully entitled to, under the self-defense uh, strictures of international law, uh, to react, uh, but has not. Uh, this extraordinary forbearance, is it popular in Russia or is the president under pressure to go much further and harder? Well, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I don't follow the polling, uh, you know, on, on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, what I would say is that Russia has not in the past been shy of uh, responding. For example, when the Ukrainians uh, conducted a suicide bombing of the Kerch Bridge, uh, Russia responded by for the first time um, targeting uh, Ukrainian infrastructure in a meaningful way by taking out their electricity system. Um, so, you know, you, one has to wonder with these, with specifically the second attempt on Vladimir Putin's life, uh, what um what wh whether it it was intended to provoke a response whether whether it was almost an attempt to uh have the russians target zelensky so that he could be replaced uh you know that's that's kind of where my mind goes with this because otherwise it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um as as for you know the the russian view of this again i don't think it's going to be tenable um i raise this issue repeatedly imagine for a moment where russia is providing 
uh, weapons and equipment to Cuba to attack, to conduct drone attacks from the area spanning from Florida to Washington, D.C., to the White House itself. Cuba would be obliterated overnight. Uh, so, you know, Russia has not done that. You almost have to admire the restraint that they're showing. But on the other hand, you have an adversary in Ukraine where, uh, as I pointed out um, in my recent articles on national media, you have open attack, uh, open calls for terror attacks. You had this Ukrainian banker, uh, Vladimir Yatsenko, who is a fraudster who funneled billions of dollars from the average uh Ukrainian citizens' bank accounts into that of uh, Igor Kolomoisky, uh, the main financial backer of Zelensky and of the Azov Battalion. Um, and he's going on Kolomoisky-owned national television calling for basically putting out a bounty for terror attacks on Red Square on Victory Day. He offered $500,000 USD, half a million, uh, for any drone manufacturer that could attack uh, that parade. Um, and then you have just days later, this, uh, U Unian, uh, U N I A N news outlet news agency. It's partnered with Western outlets like Der Spiegel, the BBC, uh, lots of, um, you know, high, high profile international media outlets, uh, they have relations with, and they put out a poll on their telegram channel after the car bombing of uh, Zakhar Prilipin, if I'm saying his name incorrectly, I apologize, um, asking which Russian intellectual should be next, which be and nice. giving yeah. a list of like six or so uh, names, mm -hmm. inc including Margarita Simonyan, the editor in chief of RT News. So these these are not just people that have, uh, you know, writing backgrounds or journalistic backgrounds and have put on military fatigues, but actual journalists working inside Russia, you know, have not been participants in in the war. Um, and, and and again, it just drives home the level of uh, psychological terror that the Ukrainians are are uh, putting out on on why across their own country through their biggest media outlets. Well, I, I recently picked through the still extant rubble of the television station in Belgrade, which NATO uh, unashamedly bombed in the middle of the night, killing uh, tea ladies and, and makeup girls, as well as journalists and broadcasters. And that rubble is there as a, a monument. So what you're really saying, Alex, is... Uh, we are against terrorism, except where the terrorists are our terrorists. And we're, uh, we're for uh, journalism not being a crime, except when it's journalists of whom we disapprove. From Julian Assange in the dungeons, uh, Belmarsh to uh, Russian journalists who can be murdered with impunity, even using Western-supplied weapons, and there will be no condemnation or even note of regret uh, issued from Western capitals. There's a word for all this, isn't there? With a capital H, hypocrisy. Yeah, that's right. And again, just to drive home this point of uh, of a situation, uh, you know, an imaginary one where where Cuba was being armed. I mean, that would by Russia uh, to attack the U.S. That would be not only the, uh, Cuba's own death sentence, but it would be considered an op open declaration of war by Russia against the U.S. So, you know, again, it just shows the the level of restraint that uh, Putin is not responding in kind 
Uh, and, you know, it just it, it shows over and over again that the, the West has no interest in uh, de-escalating this war and, 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 you know, making a ceasefire, making some kind of peace agreement. Um, they only want to escalate and they're doing whatever they can and supporting Ukraine and doing whatever it can to to ensure that uh, this this only becomes more and more uh, deadly for the people of Ukraine and, and uh, disastrous for, you know, the economies in in Europe, the United States and, uh, you know, everywhere else. Uh, this is going to be uh, a paradigm shift on a level that we have not seen and uh, it's it's going to leave Ukraine basically a giant version of this, you know, news station that you that you just described, you know, completely leveled uh, and ready to be bought up by foreign investors. Alex Rubenstein, how can people follow your work? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Real Alex Ruby. That's R U B I. I have a free Substack newsletter where you get previews of all my articles that I'm doing for the gray zone. So you can stay up to date. That's realalexruby.substack.com. And of course, uh, I can't encourage people enough to follow everything that the gray zone puts out because I do believe that we are, uh, we are unparalleled, <laughs> unrivaled. Yeah. You'd be a thank fool you. not and, to. And George, you'd be a George, fool thank not you to. so much. Uh, I, I love your show and uh, the endorsement you gave at the beginning was so meaningful to me. Keep, keep up the great work. You're, you're really uh, doing something special here. You do. Thank you so much, Alex Rubenstein of Grey Zone, a wonderful guest. Who ordered the arrest of Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan? Well, 20,000 people have voted. You've got a few minutes to get your vote in. It is overwhelmingly believed by 20,000 people that it was the US government that ordered the kidnapping. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Let's take the first calls of the evening. Lucy is in Virginia, USA, on censorship. Let's hear from her. Lucy, welcome to the Hi. show. Thank you, George. Hi. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. And actually, what I want to talk about is is Donald from Inverness. Donald mm. from Inverness, who gave the um, the wonderful clip that you have in between when you're taking a yes. break. Yeah. He spoke yes, he's seven a fine months man. ago. It was January, wasn't it? I think. Yes, he's, he's a he fine man. Uh, I I saw him. Uh, I saw him not that many weeks ago. I met him for the first time in uh, the city of Glasgow. Uh, he's an outstanding figure. Superb. Well, he certainly made an impact on me. And How I've been thinking that. about what he said ever since. And with mm -hmm. you bringing up today uh, VE Day, uh, Imran Khan, the absolute disgrace of uh, 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 that our, our our collective leadership in the United States, and I dare say in the West general, yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to say that I believe, I've, I've been thinking much about what he said about conscience and how we, how, what do we do? What do all of us do? What do we do as just regular people, maybe too old to do a lot of fighting in the streets or do a lot of, 
uh, you know, carrying signs. What I mean by fighting in the streets is carrying signs or yeah. doing this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And it's come to me that if that what is lacking in this world and what every single one of your viewers can summon is a spirit of honor. If every single person who 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 feels that what is going on is wrong from what has happened around VE Day to what has happened to Imran Khan to what is going on in our miserable governments, uh, if we summon the spirit of honor and think to ourselves, I am going to do the honorable thing, I'm going to say the honorable thing, I'm going to ask the question of others, what's the honorable thing here? So that it puts the question in their mind. That is very, a very beautifully expressed. Yeah, very beautifully expressed, uh, Lucy. Uh, the religious uh, people, uh, including myself, uh, have the following, uh, uh, if you like, rubric. Uh, we must oppose uh, that which is dishonorable uh, with our hand if we can. Uh, with our tongue, if we cannot, and if we can neither oppose it with our tongue or our hand, we must curse it in our hearts. And I think that if you believe in God, that God expects at least those three things from everyone confronted by the evil that is in the world. Those of us who can still raise our hands must do so. I'm one of those lucky enough uh, to still be able to raise my hands. But when I can do that no longer, I pray to God I will still have my tongue and I will fight for honor that way. Thank you, Lucy, in Virginia. We prioritize women callers and we prioritize first-time callers. And if you're a woman first-time caller, you've got a very good chance of getting on the show. Thank you, Lucy. Hassa is in Karachi, in Pakistan, on the front line. Hassa, what would you like to say? Uh, good evening, um, George. It's uh, great to be on the show with you right now. So, basically, uh, the reason I wanted to call and uh, let you know the current situation of Pakistan, uh, right now in Punjab, uh, Provence and uh, KPK, there is a total uh, internet blackout. Uh, it is very hard to get authentic information. That's what's going on on the roads of Lahore and Peshawar. There have been uh, reported killings. A lot of civilians have been reported uh, who have died on the front line fighting with their own Pakistani army. It is such a, what can I say, it is such a, a unfortunate uh, disaster that we are facing right now in Pakistan when uh, we are made to fight our own army. I mean, uh, we know that uh, we we have been, like, about, I am uh, a very big supporter of uh, yeah. Imran Khan. Let, let me say, Hassa, uh, you don't have to agree. might be unwise for you to do so, but you've always been fighting your own army. The difference now is that the people are fighting back. The only purpose of the Pakistan army for almost all of its existence is to repress its own people. 
not to fight others, not to defend the country from others, but to repress its own people. For the most part, they have done that successfully. They could divide and rule uh, between families, between parties, between provinces. But here now we have Imran Khan, who has mass support in all four provinces. This is rare. This is unusual. So they cannot play one province off against another. Uh, the difference now is that the people are standing up and fighting. And I'll say a few words on that towards the end of the show. But you have no choice now, Hassan. You really have no choice but to stand up or forever hold your peace and forget about democracy, forget about freedom, forget about development, forget about getting rid of the old political cliques and regimes that have milked you dry. They've bled you white over half a century and more. Last word to you, Hassa. Yeah, so basically you are absolutely correct because, but, the, uh, but this time the difference is that people are standing up for themselves. They want to end this yeah. uh, chain of actions that have been ha happening since the last 75 years. They want to prove that they are now going to get independence from their own, uh, this chakra of uh, things happening around them from a for a very, very, you know, from generation to generation. And let me tell you that this destruction is happening for the generations coming up. Because now nobody wants to become a part of that army. Nobody wants to become a part of that institution. Because now everybody knows that they are the ones who have been corrupting the core of Pakistan through and through. And, you know, army has never had been in step, like, Pakistan has never, be, never been in stability, even if it's in, in, within army or if it's a normal government. But right now, as of now, Pakistan is in martial law. You have to know that. Yeah, it's, because uh, this they is have, open they might not military dictatorship. But this is martial law. They should, like, closing down the internet. We have, do not have access on YouTube. We are closed down on Twitter. We are not able to uh, provide proper information. Whatever we are getting information is by the word of mouth, by the word of people who are each other's supporters right now. Do you know right now there had been a very big bomb blast in Lahore City? And we don't know how many no, people have been died because of that. We don't know what's happening. This is, this is, you know, and uh, I heard what uh, Mohammed called you from Leeds and he was telling you that how um, Imran Khan would be, uh, you know, uh, accused as an extremist. He will be accused as a religious extremist and how he will be executed and how things will happen. Through your show, I would like to tell the entire world, whoever is listening right now, Imran Khan will be executed. He will be held. He will be held, maybe uh, by judiciary or by the army court. But he will be executed and he will be killed. So everyone should know that we are trying to support him as much as we can. But we do need people to support from outside Pakistan, to international levels. Right now, human rights uh, human rights are, have been uh, uh, you know are being violated and. Yeah, there's uh, there's Women, no human children, rights anymore. Every person. 
Yeah. So but it's, it's Rish, been... Rishi Sunak <laughs> thinks it's all an internal affair. Hassa, stay safe in Karachi, uh, Karachi, the southern port city that I know so well, that uh, they intend to kill Imran Khan. I have never been in any doubt about that uh, because he's too popular uh, to be allowed to participate in the elections. And if he participates, he will win and he will win big. And having won big, he will have a mandate to deal with the corrupt criminals that have plunged Pakistan, a country I love, people I love, into this bloodshed and despair. I vacillate between anger and sadness about this whole affair because all of it could have been predicted. Indeed, I predicted it. I told you here on this show on the very first occasion after the overthrow of Imran Khan that this is where this would lead. Uh, they're in the position, uh, as Shakespeare put it, in Hamlet, steeped in blood so far. Is it bloodier to go on or to go back? That's the problem for the military. They are now steeped in blood so far. Do they carry out a full-scale, murderous military coup in the knowledge that it might well provoke Finally, in Pakistan, a civil war such as occurred in the early 1970s when Pakistan broke up into two separate parts and Bangladesh was born. Are they really going to murder their own people as they murdered the Bengalis? Maybe so. If they are, will others permit it? If they are, will they prevail? After all, the army is made of soldiers who are humans. They're somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's husband. They have to answer to the civil society from which they come. They have political opinions in the normal run of things. Many of them will be sympathetic to Imran Khan, certainly sympathetic to the idea that if democracy means anything at all, it must mean that the people may choose their government and replace it with another in normal democratic forms. But one way or another, the military has a decision to make. I'm not talking about the generals, corrupt, bent double with the weight of the gold of their medals from wars they never fought, never won, bent double with the weight of the gold that they have stolen from the people of Pakistan during their military careers. That's the purpose of getting to the top of the army in Pakistan, so you can steal the people's wealth and go off to a retirement in in Geneva or somewhere else. The generals, forget about them. The people of Pakistan have to create circumstances in which these generals run away now. They have to work on the fraternization with the individual soldiers. 
to persuade them not to fire upon the people, who are, after all, their people. So approach the individual Jawan as a friend, beseeching him not to empty his magazine into the great mass of the people now gathering on every city, street, every town, village, hamlet in all Pakistan, every highway is lined by millions of people on the march to try and save their leader's life, but to save something even more important than their leader's life, to save the idea of Pakistan. It is not worthy, it's not a land of the pure now. It is not worthy of the name. It is not worthy of the religion in, in whose name it was established. It is certainly not worthy of anything that could remotely be called democratic. And this is the moment. As Kansab just said from inside the prison walls, though he's not even in a prison, he's entirely illegally being held at the headquarters of the ISI itself. There's every reason to believe that he'll be shot trying to escape, or he'll jump out of a window, or any of the ways that tin pot tyrannies describe the demise of those who torment them, who will rid the generals of this turbulent priest. Who knows? Maybe an individual soldier. Maybe someone who will be described as a rogue, lone gunman. There's only one way to save the life of Imran Khan, only one way to save Pakistan, and that is mass power. Not thousands, not even hundreds of thousands, but millions of Pakistanis must take to every street. The army doesn't have enough bullets to kill everyone. Just as the millions forced the overthrow of the Shah of Shahs in Persia in 1979, so the people of Pakistan must force the removal of this martial law administration or die trying. It's been a somber and serious mother of all talk shows, befitting a global university of the airwaves. I'll be back, God willing, on Sunday at the earlier time of 7 p.m. UK time, when we'll follow all of these stories and all the stories that will break between now and then. Thank you for watching. Come back on Sunday and bring another viewer with you. Why don't you? Good night.